good morning, everybody. We're good. Okay. So if, for those watching at home, a saxophone just about fell over. And my heart, Jeff, is actually racing right now. So I'm just going to take a quick moment here and uh, compose myself. Whew. Adrenaline rush, I tell you. Okay. I'm going to start this morning by uh, asking a question that's going to make some of us feel old and some of us feel confused. Intrigued? I think so. All right. For those of us who went to public school here in Canada, for those who went to public school here in Canada, put your hand up if you regularly remember saying the Lord's Prayer at school. Right? I know some of us, okay, the reason why some of us are confused is we're like, you did what? <laughs> right? Because some of us have grown up in an era where the idea of saying the Lord's Prayer at school is just something you wouldn't do, right? Like, you know, just given our relationship and our society with religion and Christianity in general, the idea that this was like a thing that we regularly did, that just sounds so foreign and so different. But some of us remember it, and I got to tell you, I am old enough, I'm right in that I don't know whether I'm old or young here when I say this. I'm right in the middle here where I remember going to school, saying the Lord's Prayer, and I remember when it stopped. So I, re I remember in elementary school. You know, elementary school every day started with standing beside my little desk, standing at attention, uh, singing O Canada uh, to some sort of really cheesy soundtrack, um, and then saying the Lord's Prayer. That's how we started every day. And then in grade five, Mr. Courtney, my teacher, walked in and he said, okay, guys, do you want to keep saying the Lord's Prayer every day? And us grade five kids were like, yeah, yeah, we need to do this. And we did that for the rest of the year. But then... The next year, when the next school year rolled around, it just wasn't a part of our morning routine anymore. It just stopped. Now, we could get into a debate. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up for this one, but we could get into a debate about whether we think the Lord's Prayer should still be said at school, whether it was a good thing or not. And personally, I'm going to tell you that for me and most of my classmates, it didn't mean anything. It wasn't that meaningful. It was just the thing that we did. But I'm starting here this morning because I want to point out something about the Lord's Prayer that we've been talking about over the past couple weeks is that when I said the Lord's Prayer, there was a line that was always included at the end of the Lord's Prayer that I thought was what Jesus said. And the line goes like this, For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Anybody else remember that was the thing that you always said to end the Lord's Prayer, right? And if you're familiar with this ending, the fact that over the last five weeks or so we've said the Lord's Prayer and we haven't included that ending might have you feeling like, whoa, this prayer is not complete, right? There's an ending that's missing here, and I, you know, you're, you're lacking some sort of conclusion, right? Um, for others of us, and I've had conversations with at least one of you on this, that ending is meaningful. You've grown up saying it, we've grown up saying it, and it has meaning attached to it. And so in all of this, we might be wondering, why haven't we been including that in the Lord's Prayer? Well, let's just talk about this for a moment before we get into what we're really going to talk about this morning. If you look at your Bibles, you will likely see a note at the end of the Lord's Prayer that explains that the words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever, is not found in the earliest manuscripts. And this note, little note, very small note, reminds us of the journey that our scriptures have gone, gone on to get to what we hold in our hands, what we can hold in our hands today. You know, see, the book that we know of as the Bible wasn't written by one author at one single, single point in time and then published altogether as one thing. Instead, over centuries, various people under the inspiration of God wrote 
pieces of it. And in time, we recognize that it was sacred. These things are important, and we pulled them all together. But that didn't happen all at one time at one setting. That took a long time for that, for that to happen. And in the case of the New Testament documents, and the Gospels are a part of that, what originally took place is that these individual letters or Gospels were written, and they were written to be shared. And they were circulated. And people, when they got it, they made their own copy and they passed it along. And so we have copies and copies of these things. As Jesus followers wanted to have uh, it for themselves or for their community, it was meaningful for them and they wanted to retain it. And over time, what happened is that the originals were lost or simply worn out because they were written to be read and used. And what is left are fragments and copies that scholars have studied. And in the case of the Gospel of Matthew, the oldest and most reliable copies or manuscripts do not include that ending to the Lord's Prayer that many of us know. But with that said, by the second century, that ending became a part of the Lord's Prayer. And the theory is that early Jesus followers used the Lord's Prayer as a part of their worship, as a part of how they gathered. They used the Lord's Prayer. And as they did, they followed the Jewish tradition of including a congregational response called a doxology in how they used the Lord's Prayer. And by the second century, what emerged was a standard doxology that is based on something that we find in 1 Chronicles, which reads like this. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in earth and in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as, as head over all. Sounds sort of familiar, doesn't it? And while these words are not, uh, were not a part of what G Jesus originally taught his followers, at least not recorded by the, uh, by, uh, the gospel writers, they became a part of how Christians prayed. And as we reflect on these words, they remind us that as we pray, that we are to keep in mind that the reality that God is accessible and he invites us to call him our father, but at the same time to realize that he's not at the same level that we are. And we hold these things in tension as we pray. And these words of doxology serve the purpose of lifting our attention off of ourselves after we spent some time praying about our needs, as we spent time confessing our sins, as we spent time focusing on temptation, and we're going to talk about that today. As we, we spent time focusing on ourselves, well, these words of doxology lift our attention off of ourselves and focus back on who God is, the God that we get to pray to. And so for many of us, these words have become meaningful, and they were meaningful for second century Christians and for centuries of Christians ever since because they sort of form a nice bookend. We start with the Our Father art in heaven, and we end by talking about, for yours is the kingdom, the power and glory forever. Amen. Now, at the end of our service, we're going to once again pray the Lord's Prayer, and this time we're going to include these words, okay? You'll see those words on the screen if it's something that you aren't familiar with yourself. Uh, but for now, let's just hear the Lord's Prayer read one more time from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this morning we're wrapping up this teaching series on the Lord's Prayer. But before we just get into our focus today, I'm going to ask one more question. And this time, keep, keep your answers to yourself, okay? Because um, maybe you don't want to share the answer that comes out here. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a situation, or can you think of a situation where it's felt like you were at a crossroads? 
And what I don't mean is like you're trying to figure out what's for supper and you have the option between the chicken and the fish. I mean like something that's, that's, that's serious where, where uh, you realize that the decision that you are making had big implications and had the potential to shape what kind of person you were going to be. Maybe a situation like one of these. You know, there you are at school and the opportunity presents itself to cheat on an important test. What are you going to do? Or we're scrolling online and a suggestive ad pops up saying, click here. Or one day we're spending time with our kids and they are pushing all of our buttons, like all of them, not one or two, but all of them. And what we feel in us is a sense of rage starting to well up. Or we're at a meeting at work and we are asked to look the other way and ignore a policy in order to fast track a project for a wealthy, a wealthy client. Or... We're stressed about our financial situation, and just then, we spot one of those sports gambling ads, you know those ones that are everywhere right now? What are we going to do? You know, if we could be objective in moments like these, we might realize that how we respond is very important. It's going to be really important that the decision before us has the potential to negatively impact what kind of person we are and our relationships going forward. And if we make, the, we make the wrong decision, we might just find ourselves in a place of regret. Now, the reality is we face moments like these all the times. Sometimes we struggle to make decisions that, do you know what, if it was somebody else that was struggling to make that same decision, we'd say, you know what, it's, it's pretty obvious what you should do or what you shouldn't do. But in that moment, we're finding it much harder to be able to discern what is the right thing to do. Well, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray about these types of situations when he instructs us, to, instructs us to pray these final words. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, not only are we to rely on God for our material needs, and we are to rely on God for forgiveness of our past sins, but what Jesus is teaching us here is that we are to depend on God to help us avoid sin in the future. And so the big idea that we're going to explore this morning, we're going to put it this way, is that through prayer, we can seek God's help to make decisions that we will not regret. A few years ago, we were on a family vacation at Niagara Falls, and after a day of doing all the tourist things, um, we were really ready to eat. Like, we were starving, kids bugging you hungry, that level of, of hunger. And I knew... I knew in that moment that the restaurant that was closest to the hotel where we were staying uh, was overpriced. I knew that. But in that moment, I didn't care. In that moment, I was hungry, and the rest of my family was hungry, and we were going to eat. But once I'd eaten my meal, you know what happens, right? And you get the, you get the bill. Suddenly, I was filled with regret. We were overpaying, and we could have seen it coming. In fact, if we'd just been willing to look around just a little bit, we would have found a meal that we would have enjoyed just as much at a lower price, not much further from where we were sitting. We had regrets. Now, in a way, I think that this illustrates our vulnerability to making decisions that if circumstances were different, we might not otherwise make. And, and this recognition, I think, is a part of how Jesus teaches us to pray. See, through prayer, we admit that we are vulnerable to making decisions that we may end up regretting. You know, as we reflect on what Jesus says about, about praying to avoid temptation, we need to understand that God is not the one who tempts us to do what is wrong or what is evil. You know, God is good, and he does things that are loving and, and are good. And to tempt us to do what is wrong goes against who God is and what God is about. In fact, the book of James tells us plainly that God does not tempt us 
But it's what's going on inside of us that is what can cause us to give into temptation and to find ourselves in, in places where we might be in regret, experiencing regret. And so a better way of understanding what Jesus says here is to understand that the word behind the word temptation can also mean testing. And testing in the Bible is where people undergo uh, challenges or difficult situations, and as a result, their character and their faith is revealed. This was the experience of Jesus when after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness, he's approached by Satan, and his commitment to God is tested. You know, would Jesus take the offer of comfort, of fame, of, fame, of wealth, or would he remain committed to the way of God? And each, in each time, each case, Jesus responds to the temptation, to the testing right in front of him by quoting scripture and recommitting himself to God. Now, let's again think about those decisions that we might regret. As we, and as we think about them, we need to keep in mind that God does not tempt us. God's not the one who tempts people like us. But what God does do is he does allow us to face tests each and every day. Now, are these spectacular moments like what happened to Jesus or, or even what happened to Job in the Old Testament? Not usually. You know, normally, these are things in situations that just happen in the pattern of our, of our everyday lives. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, the things that you and I face, it's not unique to us. It is everyday stuff that other people deal with too. And what we have before us is the choice to live out our prayer for God's will to be done in our lives. We have that choice. Paul goes on to talk about how God in his mercy will not allow us to face more than what we can handle. And that he will always ensure that there is a way out of the temptations that we find ourselves dealing with. But with that said, avoiding regret can be hard some days, can't it? You know, some days it feels really hard, life just feels really hard, and our ability to choose what we, uh, choose to do what we might otherwise uh, know is right, and to avoid doing what we might otherwise know is wrong, um, our ability to do that just isn't what it should be. You know, some days what we want is something quick and something easy, uh, we want something that's going to bring us a sense of satisfaction right away. And in moments like this, there's a part of us that isn't concerned about regrets, at least not in the moment. But after that moment passes, we often fi find ourselves wishing that we'd done something differently, don't we? And the good news is that Jesus understands this. And it will remind us what we talked about last week about seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness. This all ties together. But Jesus understands this. He understands us. And he teaches us to pray with an awareness of our vulnerability and our weakness. And to ask God to spare us from those situations where we would be tempted to do what is wrong. As Jesus approaches his death, he talks about this again with his followers. And he says, watch and pray that you would not fall into temptation. In other words, pay attention. Don't be surprised that, that you might find yourself in a situation where you're tempted to do what otherwise you might think, otherwise think, I would never do that. But don't be surprised when that happens. And instead, fold that into how we pray. We can be preparing for moments like these in how we pray. 
A number of years ago, I was introduced to an acronym that is used in addiction treatment uh, circles to help addicts notice the signs of a possible relapse, or the signs that, uh, you know, how life is going that might lead them in a direction that they don't want to be. And the acronym is called HALT. H-A-L-T stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired. And the big idea behind these is that there are physical and emotional states that weaken us, and as a result, we have a diminished capacity to make the good decisions that we might otherwise want to make. And in the context of our conversation this morning, knowing that there are times when we might be vulnerable can help us to recognize when we are most susceptible to making decisions that we might regret. I mean, I'm not going to go in detail on all of these, but just, let's just go over these quickly. You know, when we're hungry, we can find that what we want is immediate gratification, which usually doesn't result in good decision-making. Anger and other such strong emotions can cloud our judgment. You know, when we feel angry, we might see behaviors that we would ordinarily not condone as being viable options or viable solutions to the problems that we are facing. You know, when we are alone or feeling isolated, we can become vulnerable and can end up seeking comfort and connection in unhealthy ways. When we are tired, our ability to make decisions and to be self-controlled is impaired. Now, this is, again, not an exhaustive list of all the things that could cloud our judgment, but the idea behind this acronym is that sometimes we need to stop or we need to halt and to take an assessment of how we're doing and to recognize that in a particular moment, if we aren't careful, we might be on the road to making a decision that we will ultimately regret. You know, as Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to, he teaches us to pray to avoid temptation, and Jesus is inviting us to acknowledge here that we are often vulnerable to bad decisions that will lead to regrets. And it could be, our, it could be that we end up finding that we you know, are having a hard time living with ourselves because of the decisions that we've made. Or our regrets are that our actions have impacted our relationships with somebody that we really care about. Or we might find that, that our, our actions um, are causing regrets in our relationship with God. Our spiritual relationship isn't what we had hoped it would be because of the things that we've gotten ourselves into. And so as we pray, we are invited to name this vulnerability and to ask God for help. In September, the Canadian government announced an inquiry into foreign interference into the Canadian election process. And this was in response to the accusations that there were certain states that had attempted, or maybe they actually did, gain the ability to influence our political processes. Now, I, I bring this up because I think this illustrates how there are decision-making processes that we can believe that we have control over, but upon closer inspection, we might realize that there are forces, who have influence, forces that have influence over our decisions that we weren't aware of. You know, what Jesus knows is that as humans, we are vulnerable to the influence of moral and spiritual forces that are outside of ourselves. And so Jesus encourages us to be aware of this and to include it in how we pray. Through prayer, we seek God's protection from influences that would tempt us to make decisions that we might regret. In two of the most prominent stories of testing that we find in Scripture, we see that the being responsible for temptation is, again, not God, but it is Satan. We see this in the story of Job, and we see this when Jesus is tested in the wilderness. And so as we look to how Jesus teaches us to pray, we shouldn't be surprised by this mention of the evil one, also known as Satan. 
Now, here at West Heights, we don't tend to talk a whole lot about Satan, but it is important that from time to time we, we uh, remember his presence and his influence. And in Christian theology, he is regarded, Satan is regarded as the tempter who leads people away from God's will through various means. Sometimes he uses deception, you know, distorting the truth, presenting lies as appealing alternatives or manipulating our perceptions of reality. Other times he uses the allure of power, wealth, and success to tempt us. Sometimes he taps in, into our desire for, for comfort, for pleasure, for gratification. Sometimes what Satan does is he creates a sense of uncertainty in us uh, where we might start to doubt God's goodness and God's love. And the sense of distrust can result in us being willing to do things where, where, that at another point in time we might have considered to be immoral or even evil. And then... If we were to revisit the experience of Jesus in the wilderness, we see that Satan can use challenging circumstances or moral dilemmas to test us. Now, in saying this, I really don't think we're supposed to be seeing Satan behind everything. Nor does Satan's presence become an excuse for our own moral responsibility. Indeed, ultimately, you and I, we, are responsible for our own actions. And not only that, but Satan is not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent. He is not God. He's not even some sort of lesser deity. He has limited power and he has limited influence. But at the same time, to be ignorant of the fact that we could be susceptible to the evil one or to evil itself would be ignorant. You know, all around us are influences that would suggest that, that the ways of the kingdom and the will of God are not really that good and that we can do better. And do you know what? These influences look pretty normal. They don't often look like Satan sauntering up and saying, hey, why don't you try something different? They look pretty normal. But the end result is the same. The end result is regret. And so as Jesus teaches us to pray, he, he says that we aren't just, again, supposed to rely on God to, to, for our daily needs, and we aren't just supposed to rely on God for the forgiveness of our sins, which is fantastic, you know, as all this topic, talk about temptation might have you sitting here thinking like, man, like I have screwed up. I give in the temptation so much and so frequently. Well, the good news is, as Jesus taught us to pray, is that God is eager to forgive. And that is a part of what we talked about last week. But not only is God concerned about providing for us and for what we've done in the past, but God is concerned about helping us navigate and overcome the influences of evil and to make good, loving, wise, life-giving decisions that reflect the will of God now and going forward. And so as a part of, we, a part of how we pray, we are to acknowledge that we are vulnerable. We are to acknowledge the presence of outside influences that want to shape us. And we are to acknowledge that we need God's help to do what is right. And when we make this a part of how we pray, we will find ourselves empowered to make decisions, uh, fewer decisions that we're going to end up regretting. Please join me in prayer. And as we end our time in prayer, we will say the Lord's Prayer together. Lord Jesus, thank you again for who you are. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you are the creator of so many things, everything that we get to enjoy that is good. And Lord, thank you that you desire to know us and that you've made it possible for us to know you. Lord, thank you for that. Help us not to take that for granted. 
Lord, as we evaluate our lives, as we look at the things that we want, the things, the, the ambitions that we have in life, we ask that you would help us to keep you and your ways in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would be captivated by a vision of your kingdom. Lord, that we would look to seek to be a part of it, Lord, and your will and your ways would become increasingly a part of who we are. Lord, use us to bring your kingdom to earth and have your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, today some of us are struggling with some really basic needs. Some of us are struggling to, have, uh, to put food on the table to pay our bills, Lord. Our finances are a mess, God, and we aren't sure how much longer we can hold on. Lord, this morning we pray and we ask that you would, that you would take care of our needs. Lord, that we would see you at work around us, and Lord, that where there is helps available to us, that we would see these as a way that you are working in our lives. Lord, would you provide work for us? Would you provide solid housing for us? And Lord, for those of us who are able, would you use us to be a part of how these prayers are answered in the lives of others? God, for others of us this morning, we are struggling in, in our health, whether it be our physical health or our mental health. Lord, we are struggling. And if it's not us, there are people in our lives, loved ones, people who are close to us who are going through some really hard times right now. And God, we need your comfort. We need your peace. We need your freedom, Lord. And so, Lord, this morning we, we open our hands and we say, God, we give these to you because we can't do anything about it. Help us. Lord, relationships are hard. For some of us, God, we are just feeling so, so alone right now. God, would you provide people, would you bring people into our lives who we can know and they can know us, Lord, that we can share life with? Lord, would you build good friendships around each one of us? Would our family relationships go deep and be healthy? And Lord, in those situations where things are broken, Lord, we do ask that you would help us to figure out how do we set up appropriate boundaries and Lord, to look for opportunities for healing to take place. And God, would you give us the strength to do our part to bring reconciliation and wholeness into our relationships. God, this week we've allowed ourselves to become bitter. You know, somebody has wronged us, somebody has offended us, and God, we're holding on to that. This morning as we pray, Lord, we, we ask for your strength to help us to release these things. God, forgiveness sometimes seems like a really good idea but really hard to do. Lord, would you help us to learn how to forgive? And may we know personally the healing that takes place when we learn to forgive somebody that has wronged us. Lord, as we've talked about sin, as we talked about temptation, some of us this morning are keenly aware of our own shortcomings, our own failings, Lord, and the, uh, the habits and addictions, perhaps, that we are tangled up in. Lord, we're sorry. We want to do better. Help us to do better, Lord. Help us to be changed by your forgiveness and your love. Lord, this morning, as we've 
we've looked at what Jesus taught us about praying about temptation and those situations that are those decisions that we make that lead to regret. Lord, we acknowledge our vulnerability. We acknowledge that in moments when we are weak or we're tired or we're experiencing big emotions or our needs aren't being met, Lord, that we don't often make good decisions in those moments. Lord, there are things that we wish that we could change. And Lord, we're grateful for your forgiveness and your love over our past. As we look into the future, Lord, we acknowledge our vulnerability and we ask that you would help us when we are weak, especially when we are weak. Lord, to make good decisions, to not be impulsive. Lord, we also this morning acknowledge the presence of outside influences that want to shape us. Lord, these things look look different in each of our lives. They get called by different names. We call the evil one, the power of sin. They could be called the forces of our culture and our society. But whatever we call it, Lord, we just recognize that there are forces outside of ourselves that seek to influence us and influence us in a way that does not reflect your life and your love. Lord, help us to be able to see them. Help us to be able to give us the strength to overcome them. Lord, we want to do what is right. We want to live with fewer regrets. God, we need your help. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for who you are and for how you are a part of our lives and how you never give up on us. And we're grateful for that. God, as we conclude our time together this morning, as we conclude this series, would you help the words that Jesus taught us to stick in our hearts and our minds? May they become a part of who we are, a part of how we pray And so, Lord, this morning we conclude by praying those words that you taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.